Good morning. I'm Tim Neubauer, and welcome to Safety Unlocked, the morning podcast. I'm Craig Edwards. Dave Bittner. Today is Monday, October 16th, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing return to work and the ramifications of how to manage that process. Plus, we're going to review Exceed Safety's annual calendar to see what's up this week and see if there's any consumer safety recalls we need to address. Craig? Um, This week, uh, Safety Week is National School Bus Safety Week. Um, You want to make sure that when you're out and about early in the morning and as uh, as we're getting further into the year, um, it's getting uh, the sun's coming up later and later. be on the lookout for school buses when they turn on their uh, yellow lights, which means they're getting ready to stop. And when they have their uh, red lights flashing, that means you are required. It's the law. You have to stop. Um, That is probably one of my hot button get angry quick is when people are not respectful of School buses picking up these little kids. Um, they, you don't know if they're going to zig or zag. Um, pay attention. Get off the phone. Slow down. You know, nothing is worth taking a child's life to get you to work on time two minutes faster. Correct. And uh, fun fact: when, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was uh, sixteen, um, I drove a school bus uh, in the great state of North Carolina because you were allowed to do that. Uh, they don't allow that anymore. Uh, because DOT has some pretty specific rules about who can and cannot operate and what age they are uh, when it comes to uh, buses, uh, anything over 26,001 pounds or anything that uh, transports hazardous materials. So uh, that's where we're at. Are children hazardous materials? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go there, but. (laughs) (laughs) They most certainly are, at least mine are. (laughs) <laughs> they are insane. Uh, you know, so, I, th- I I think that uh, I think the traffic laws do not apply in my neighborhood. You know, I, when, when I look out my uh, my living room window, I see the uh, the stop sign with the bus stop, where you know only the bus stops there, opposite of the stop sign. <laughs> the suggestion. Yeah, optional, right? Which yeah, is funny because if you miss a stop sign in front of Dave's house, you will end up going up his driveway and into his garage. <laughs> okay, so on to our recalls. So there is a product, uh, Family Health Products recalls crystal clear sodium hydroxide products due to the failure to meet child-resistant packaging requirements. Uh, It's sold through Amazon. Uh, So if you purchase that, um, you can uh, email them at recall at familyhealthproducts.com. There's also Your Health Toolkit recalls children's weighted blankets due to asphyxiation hazard. Again, sold on Amazon. Um, And lastly, Countertop Nugget Ice Makers recalled due to laceration hazard. Sold exclusively through, I feel like we're going to get in trouble, uh, Amazon. Um, 
by so sheer volume, it, they're going to have more more advertising. I, mean, I I I don't think that Mr. Bezos is going to target little old exceed safety and safety unlocked. If if you sell a gazillion products and and a half a percent are recalled on average, you're going to have more. Well, just, let me say this? let me say the name countertop nugget worries me anyway. <laughs> well, they show it with a uh, there's a picture of it and it's got some ice and then there's someone has an old fashioned setting right next to it. So um, at least they'll be comfortable uh, when they get lacerated by the uh, ice. That's All right, sharp so that's, ice there to lacerate you. Yeah, pretty much. All right, that's it for this week uh, for recalls. All right, so let's it, jump in. <laughs> I, I, I'm, choos I'm choosing to not acknowledge the ice maker because I actually have not that brand, but I actually have one of those, and uh, um, um, it does work well for a lot of a lot of iced drinks in, in volume. When people come over, you can make a lot of ice uh, on there, but. Anyway, now on to our main discussion. Uh, we talked about return to work and the ramifications of that. Um, Craig, there, there's a couple of there's a couple of uh, uh, articles I would suggest to people. Right, I'm trying to. I was grasping for words there because I don't want to say book. Um, there is um, an article that has got to be 20 years old called "A Broken System." Uh, which was penned by somebody here in North Carolina, but it's applicable nationwide. Um, and it talked about how how it's not whether or not an employee is going to be compensated for an injury. It's how much you're going to compensate them. Uh, but it also talks about a, a scary statistic. And again, 20 years old, where they talk that they're significant, more than 50%. I won't give you the, the number uh, from the article because it's it's quite old, but more than half of injuries and events are either exaggerated or completely false. Um, and 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 that isn't our topic today. Our topic is how to care and manage for people who are actually injured and need to get back to work. And and there's different strategies um, associated with that. But the, if you're interested in that article. Uh, please feel free to email me. We have a link uh, on our podcast where you can reach out there and I'll be happy to send you a uh, scan of a scan of a scan <laughs> of a photocopy <laughs> in black and white from that article called A Broken System talking about how we need to manage injuries better because most, most states in most jurisdictions, most employers have no recourse you're going to pay, whether they're real or fraudulent. So the to me, the, the main point of today's topic is take care of your employees. We want to prevent the injury from happening, but when it actually does happen, take care of them or it's going to be very expensive for you in the end. Correct. The, uh, the, uh, so we, we do touch a little bit on the, uh, in this discussion. There's no way to get around it. It's the workers' compensation system. Most workers' compensation uh, laws were, were enacted in the 1930s as part of the New Deal because people would get injured and then there would be no, you know, it's just like, okay, well, you lost your arm. Um, maybe you can get a job doing, you know, something that just requires one arm um, oh by the way you're fired <laughs> uh and then there's that yes um 
So return to work, um, at least in my experience, um, you have to have a really solid policy and you have to have a documented process, not just the policy, but the process with which to bring someone back to work to get them um, to keep them from just sitting out there going, well, do I have a job or not? Right. And return to work once the doctor has uh, released them uh, to do either light work, you know, uh, modified duty, sedentary work, whatever they release them to do. You as the employer have a decision to make at that time. Do I bring that employee back to work and accommodate those restrictions, whatever they may be? Or do I just let that employee stay out and uh, let them get further from, from their coworkers and further from our culture? And um, watching TV commercials say, with, do we cheat them in hell? Um, yeah. If you are injured on the anybody. job. <laughs> yeah, because all you have to do is drive down the interstate and about every third billboard uh, is an advertisement for um, workers' compensation. So, but uh, return to work. Uh, let's say um, I injure, my, uh, I injure my, my shoulder, right? And I'm out of work for uh, a month, right? The doctor writes me out says you need to get some uh, rest and recuperation. Um, we're going to get you into PT. Uh, I go through all that, and then I go see him, and, and the doc says, okay, you can return to work, but you can only lift 10 pounds with the affected arm. Dave, what do I do then as the employer? Well, you better sit down and evaluate your workplace and see if you have that job available. Something that's productive and not menial and can make the person feel like they're at work um, being pro productive and, and, you know, helping the company out. Uh, you don't want to you do not want to violate that. Um, that doctor's doctor's note, for lack of a better. Better term um, that says this is this is what the employee is allowed to do. So, so circling well within those parameters. So circling back to Craig's earlier comment, you need to do this in advance. You need to know what jobs have what physical capabilities well before the injury happens. Yeah. So that you can say, okay, this is your job. Here are parts of your job. Here's things that require a lot of activity. Here's are things that require not so much activity, such as kind of workstation. Can you accomplish a task standing and sitting or sitting? Um, how much weight, are there other aspects of the job so you can manage that, hey, this isn't actually a restricted time. This is just part of my regular job, Mr. Doctor. Correct. Um, and so Dave um, and Tim both uh, had on the, the central theme there is make sure that um, you had this mapped out prior to uh, anyone have a policy in place and a procedure on how to evaluate whether, you know, and because you'll never know what type of injuries is going to occur. You know, you can look at your lagging indicators and say, oh, I'm going to predict that we're going to have so many um, rotator cuff tears or we're going to have so many smashed fingers or what have you. But that's that really doesn't tell you um, how you're going to be able to 
accommodate um, specific restrictions. So when um, when the individual comes back and you have them doing a job today's point, you want to make it impactful, um, uh, not only for the organization, but for the employee as well. What typically happens, and Dave, I know you have some experience with this, as do I. Tim, I don't know if you do. You may, you may have some experience with it. What happens when someone does come back to work? They're given restricted duty. And what, what do the other employees do? And what is their um, attitude toward the employee who's on restricted work? I'm going to give you a real world example. I had a, um, uh, before I was a safety guy, when I was actually working in a factory, uh, we had a guy named Dougie who, who got hurt at work. Uh, and when he came back, he was on light duty. And he said, Dougie, sweep the floor in the plant. That was his light duty assignment. So everybody said, look at Dougie. He was number two, and now he sweeps the floor. And when Dougie got done sweeping the floor, they said, no. He goes, I'm done. Can I go back to work? And I was, no, Doug, sweep the floor for the rest of your career. And <laughs> that was just how they handled it. And everybody um, looked at Doug like he was not equal anymore. And it turned into a, almost a quasi-punishment banishment for him. Um, you know, the, 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 be careful when you're reassigning these things that you don't create that that perception of special privilege or punishment. That would be the either ends of the spectrum. Well, and that's what you get. You know, everybody's like, oh, that person is slacking and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, because of, you know, laws and HIPAA and all that, you you can't share with those other people exactly what's going on with that person. Um, you could say they're on light duty and leave it very generic. And that's that's it. You know, you're you are not at liberty to share the exact details of what's going on with that person. So perception perception becomes reality for these folks. So um the 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 best thing that you know is to have that those standardized jobs that actually contribute something that they can see that hey, you know, I understand this person's on light duty, but they are doing X, which contributes to the whole thing. Um because if you don't and it's Dougie sweep the floor you get that kind of thing like you just got and, and going back to to the lawyer thing like i was joking around with before if you don't follow those th these things that's why all those lawyers are out there with those billboards right craig because people do not know how to follow these important rules correct and it it comes down to um and, and don't don't think that i'm talking about this disciplinary action, but what it comes down to is the employer's discipline as it pertains to holding the team member or the employee accountable to those restrictions. Because to Tim's point, Doug's like, okay, I swept the floor. Can I go back to work now? They they feel employees can feel that, for lack of a better term, that ostracism. They don't want to be singled out even though by the very nature of their injury and their restrictions, they must be because we want them to be completely healed and whole before we put them back to their regular duty. And that's what the doctor instructs us to do. So is there at any point, can we countermand a, a doctor's 
notes and just tell the employee, yeah, you, you're fine. You tell me you're fine. You're good to go. Go back to work. Uh, sure. If you want to pay the legal ramifications from your lawyer, but you can get a second opinion. Uh, but I want to go back one step before that, Craig, because we struggle. Uh, I shouldn't say we struggle. It's a challenge sometimes with our clients. We audit our clients uh, when we first start with them. And one of the things that we find often is that they don't have job descriptions. And uh, we tell people, hey, or they have them and they say, your job is to put two parts together with a hammer and a nail. Uh, and then we say, hey, you have to do the ergonomic assessment, put all the physical limitations, and they struggle with that. But if they actually do that, and getting before you get to the doctor, if you have a relationship with a doctor's office that you go to, an occupational doctor, and you say, hey, here's all of my job descriptions, here's what we do, here's our rem here's our, our light duty, here's our return to work policy, and the doctor knows all this, days, weeks, months, years before the event actually happens, when the employee comes in there and says, my shoulder hurts, the doctor is far less likely to write that person out for a month or a week or a day because they have all of the return to work, they have the light duty, and they have that relationship ahead of time. So, so to pre-answer your question, Craig, you can affect that outcome with the doctor's office well in advance of the event actually happening. But once it happens, now you're looking at second opinions and now you got that lawyer swooping in ready to go to say you're trying to manipulate the, manipulate the case. That's correct. And for people that are in different states, so North Carolina and South Carolina, the employer, and uh, hopefully you'll understand the, the meaning here, directs care which means that we're employers are the driver. Uh, and we tell the employee, this is the, this is the clinic that we use to Tim's point. We have a relationship with them. We send them to that clinic. We're not trying to gain the system. We're trying to make sure that the employee gets the best care and can get returned to work as quickly as possible to get the best of, of all outcomes. Because when an employee is out of work, are they paid their entire wage? No. Well, it's no, two-thirds no. two of their paycheck without tax, but it works out very close. So, so, so important, another important factor here is that, you know, if you, if you are the employer, do not get uh, uh, short with that person. No matter what you think of their injury, it's not yours to, uh, not yours to evaluate their injury and say they're, they're faking it, they're not faking it or whatever. Let the doctor lead that that you send them to or that they go to in your state. Um, and, and follow those follow those rules to the letter. And, you know, no matter what you personally think of it, you know, you just bear with it and follow the plan and, and everything will be okay for everybody. Because if you don't, you know, that's not going to go well for you. You know, we're focusing Correct. on injury care, but we also need to acknowledge that we've got the difference between workers' compensation and OSHA recordability, and that what, and, and folks, that could be an entire different two-hour-long podcast uh, talking about the difference between OSHA recordability and uh, workers' compensation, uh, but I do want to acknowledge that during this, that that we're talking about actually managing the care for the person and we're not trying to get into the, hey, is this workers compensable? And hey, is this OSHA recordable? We're leaving that off to the side because that is a very different topic. 
which will probably come up in the near future. Um, so, <laughs> um, but in, in any regard, so we have our individual who has, um, gone to the doctor, we'll stick with the shoulder injuries, gone to the doctor. Um, we've accommodated those restrictions. Now, um, there's something called maximum medical improvement. There's a whole, there's a whole language and world associated with workers' compensation. And I'm one of those people that knows just enough about it to be dangerous, uh, but I can manage my way through it. So once someone reaches maximum medical improvement, that means that this is as good as they're going to get. And they may be given an, uh, a complete release to return to work. No restrictions, no impairment, no nothing. They're ready to come back to work and, and resume their normal duties. However, sometimes they may come back to work with permanent restrictions. So how would we handle permanent restrictions on an injury that affects someone's shoulder? You use those a lot. What? No. <laughs> Should that be addressed in our return to work policy? Absolutely, because now we've got complete job reassignment. What are we going to do? Uh, promote the person to be the safety guy? Um, what is our policy? <laughs> wait, wait, that, that wasn't an option for me? <laughs> there, that was actually the option when I started, you know, almost three decades ago. Or, or uh, And I said, hey, you know, if you got hurt, you lost a hand. They made you the safety guy because you were the guy to talk about what it's like to be unsafe. That That isn't today's career path, but. No. So, but if you do have uh, someone who uh, does have permanent restrictions, you do have to, you can make a couple of choices. You can choose to accommodate or you can choose to say, you know what, we don't have anything available that fits your restrictions. Then that's when lawyers get involved and it becomes a very long, drawn out process. Uh, in order to 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 make that individual whole, and whether it's at work or you have to cut ties. I Tough mean, let's decisions. be clear though it's a it's a necessary process when it comes to that, right? For the safety of the individual, um, you know, and for the for the company, uh, you know, you don't you don't want to put someone in a job that's uh, has a permanent restriction and it can uh, can end up a lot worse. Um, right. Just, you know, it's it's a hard thing. It's a really hard decision to make in the end. Uh, it, it's and we have really been focusing on the employer managing the event. Um, always keep in mind that there's a human being who's been injured. Um, you know, their pain, their suffering is is very real in a lot of cases um, and morally and ethically you need to take care of these people. So a, a key uh, takeaway from today is is. Management of the event doesn't happen when the event happens. It should start months or years before it ever happens by having job descriptions and evaluations for light duty, having a relationship with the primary care in states where that's allowed. Um, uh, those job descriptions and then quick and aggressive uh, case management to get those people back to work as quickly as possible. Um, we're going to be talking more and more about um, 
care management, the OSHA 300 log, what is workers compensable versus OSHA recordable uh, coming up in future podcasts. That wraps up this episode of Safety Unlocked, The Morning Show. Don't forget to subscribe to The Morning Show on whatever podcast platform you are listening on or watching on and follow us on social media. Uh, If you have a safety question, send it our way. We might feature it on our next episode. I'm Tim Neubauer with Craig Edwards and Dave Bittner. I'm Dave Bittner. Remember, safety is everyone's business. And I'm Craig Edwards. Make it a safe day. You have been listening to Safety Unlocked, The Morning Show, a podcast for safety people by safety people. Brought to you by Exceed Safety a full-spectrum consulting firm. Visit our website at ExceedSafety.com or call us at 919-728-SAFE. Exceed Safety, L.